If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to begin our study through Colossians 4, 7 through 18, which serve as the final verses of this tremendous letter. Though I need to be clear, this is not the final message in our study of Christ above all. I'm not going to be able to cover all these verses. Shocking, I know. And even if I could, it doesn't mean the end of our study. Because you see, surprisingly enough, the lesson of Colossians does not end with the conclusion of this book. No. In fact, Colossians delivers one final message on the importance of exalting Jesus Christ above all, one other place in the New Testament in a very powerful way. And so you have to prepare yourself for that. But for this morning, we're going to see how Paul begins to conclude this letter for the Colossian believers. And he does it in a very interesting way. See, as we've been studying through the book of Colossians, we've been learning about the preeminence and the supremacy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one who is above all things. He's the creator, sustainer, and ruler of all things. He is the one who has reigned over our redemption, our salvation, our forgiveness, our new life, and one day our glorification in heaven. He reigns supreme above all. He is the preeminent one as Colossians as Paul writes earlier in Colossians. So the question we are faced with is then, how ought we to live as Christians? He is preeminent. How do I make Him preeminent in my own life? How do I reflect His glory and His worth in my day-to-day decision-making as a follower of Jesus Christ, the Supreme One? And we've been seeing many different ways of how you can do that individually as believers. We've seen that these are ways you can show the supremacy and lordship of Jesus Christ by how you respond to your spouse, how you respond to your parents, how you respond to your children, how you respond to your employer or your employee. We've seen how we can show the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ by how we respond to those who are outsiders who do not know Christ. But now we're going to learn one final important way of how to exalt Jesus Christ above all as believers, and that is in verses 7 through 18. Paul concludes this letter of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in a very interesting way. You see, after finishing all of his doctrinal teaching and commands back in verse 6 of chapter 4 starting in verse 7 it's almost as if Paul attaches to his letter to the Colossians a group photograph as it were of those around him giving snapshots of those who were ministering with him at that time you might think that this is kind of random if you are following the flow of Colossians but in fact Paul includes this because he wants us to learn a very important final lesson that lesson is this Any successful effort to exalt Jesus Christ above all is always a team effort. If you want to exalt Jesus Christ above all, then you cannot do it on your own. God has not given you every spiritual gift. He has given every spiritual gift to the body of Christ so that together we might exalt Him above all. You cannot do it on your own. You've got to have the spiritual aid and encouragement of other believers walking and following after Jesus Christ right alongside you. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 11 teaches this in a very basic type of spiritual principle when it says two are better than one 
Though one might succumb to bitter cold, two can withstand it. And he goes on by saying that even though one might be overcome by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Any successful effort to exalt Jesus Christ above all always involves a group of believers working together for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, our author, knew this. Throughout the duration of his ministry, he was never alone. Except for a brief time in Athens in which he was waiting for his friends, Paul always had companions with him. He always had people who were ministering alongside of him and people who were preparing to carry on the ministry after him. Even someone as gifted and as called as Paul needed others if he was to exalt Jesus Christ above all in his own personal life and ministry. He could never do it alone. And neither can we. The portrait of a successful Christ-exalting life and ministry is always a group photograph. And we see that illustrated here in Colossians 4, 7-18. We're going to see this morning that the portrait of a successful Christ-exalted ministry involves those who serve the ministry. That's in verses 7-9. through Those who encourage the ministry. That's in verses 10-11. through Those who pray for the ministry in verses 12-13. through Those who remain in the ministry in verse 14. Those who receive the ministry in verses 15 through 17, and those who deliver the ministry in verse 18. So that's the lesson of Colossians 4 7 through 18. It is the final lesson in Colossians. If Christ is to be exalted above all, then we must all minister, and we must all minister together, standing side by side for the faith of the gospel and serving as one body for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, the preeminent one. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 7 on into verse 18. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these words, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea, and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and to Nympha, and to the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, 
write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the Word of God who upholds us according to His promises that we might live and not be put to shame in our hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word that is given to us today. We thank You for Your Spirit that indwells Your children, that we might understand the the things freely given to us by You. Father, we thank You for the lessons that are contained in this passage. We know that it is by the power of Your Word that You spoke the universe into existence that you set the stars and the planets in their place and in their orbits, that it is by the power of your word that you uphold and you sustain all things. It is also by the power of your word that you bring those who are dead to new life and that you also shape and fashion the hearts of your children to follow after you. So Father, I pray that your word would have free course in the hearts and minds of those who have gathered here today. And I pray that you would do a work during this time for your honor and for your glory that counts for eternity and lasts far longer than these short minutes and this short service for this short lifetime. May Christ be exalted above all we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Paul concludes his message of Christ above all in the book of Colossians, he reminds us that we cannot do this alone. We need each other to live a life that glorifies Jesus. And so in Paul's portrait of a Christ-exalting ministry, the first snapshot we see here in this passage is a snapshot of those who serve the ministry. Those who serve the ministry. That's in verses 7 through 9. And the first portrait we're introduced to here is of a man named Tychicus. That's in verses 7 through 8. Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus' name means fortunate and he lived up to his name. Even though he's only mentioned five times briefly in the pages of Scripture, uh, one thing becomes abundantly clear as you study this man is he spent many years in the ministry alongside the Apostle Paul. That is a very fortunate man. The first time we're introduced to Tychicus is in Acts 20, verse 4. You don't need to turn there, but Paul in that moment is in Ephesus. And he gets this idea, the believers in Jerusalem were struggling financially. And so Paul travels, he begins to travel around the area of Asia Minor, that is modern day Turkey, and he starts to collect money from all the Gentile churches in order to help the Jerusalem church in their financial needs. But Paul does more than just start collecting money. You start studying what he does, he begins to collect certain believers to himself as well, believers from each one of those congregations in modern day Turkey. Thus, not only would he bring money, but fellow believers along with him to encourage the Jerusalem church in the middle of their trials. Tychicus was one of those believers who joins Paul to go to Jerusalem on that mercy mission. Now that shows us something here at the very beginning. That shows us that Tychicus possesses a servant's heart. Possesses a servant's heart. See, to travel from from Western Asia Minor all the way to Jerusalem was a long journey. It wasn't like jumping into your car and heading to Dayton or Columbus for the day, right? 
No, to travel with Paul from Ephesus to Jerusalem over land by feet, right, would take Tychicus an entire, likely close to an entire year, away from his home, his career, his friends, and his church. And he did it all to serve Christ. And he served Christ by serving the minister of Christ. And he served the minister of Christ by serving the church of Christ. That's a servant's heart. That's a servant's heart. Though some in Asia Minor gave their money, Tychicus gave himself. And so we see him in Ephesus heading to Jerusalem. And now, here in Colossians, almost five years later, Tychicus, we find out here in this letter, is still with the Apostle Paul in Rome in the middle of his first imprisonment. And then what's even more exciting is that later on in Titus 3, verse 12, during Paul's second imprisonment, Paul writes to Pastor Titus, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. In other words, Paul is saying, Titus, if you will come and spend the winter with me here in Nicopolis, I'll send Artemis, or I will send Tychicus to take care of your church and to lead it in your place as the pastor while you're away. And not only did he say this to Titus, but over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, the last letter Paul ever wrote, he said to Timothy, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, which was the church that Timothy was currently the pastor of. When you come, he says, bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas and also the books and above all the parchments. Did you get that? In other words, in order for Timothy to leave his congregation in Ephesus, Paul sent as Timothy's replacement this man named Tychicus. Now that is something else. A man who started off, listen to this, who started off simply being willing and available to just walk with Paul eventually becomes the substitute pastor for men like Titus and Timothy, Paul's protege students. Tychicus, who had a servant's heart, made himself available and was used by God in ways he never dreamed possible. That's Tychicus. He was a companion. He was a pastor. Frankly, Tychicus was anything that the ministry needed him to be. But here in Colossians chapter 4, that whole future of eventually becoming an itinerant pastor for Paul's hand-picked protégés is still all in Tychicus's future. Here in Colossians 4, he's just sitting in a jail cell next to Paul, helping him in any way possible. Serving with Paul as a faithful companion in robe open and available to any task. And at the moment, what we find out in this letter is that Paul needs Tychicus to be a messenger. This letter of Colossians, now written, has to be delivered. Someone needs to deliver it. Who is Paul going to trust to hold on to the inspired writings of the Holy Spirit? And not only just the letter of Colossians, but over in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 22, we read this, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. It's almost exactly what Paul writes here in Colossians over in Ephesians. So Tychicus is entrusted with delivering the letters of Colossians, Ephesians, and incidentally also the letter of Philemon in your New Testament. We know this because in 
Uh, verse 9 of Colossians 4 tells us that with Tychicus, Paul was also sending a man named Onesimus, a runaway and now returning slave about whom the letter of Philemon was written. So off goes Tychicus, entrusted with the task to safely deliver the Spirit-inspired writings of Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon over one-tenth of the New Testament. Talk about an assignment. You think Paul trusted Tychicus? Yes, he did. So this is the first portrait of those who serve. It is a man named Tychicus. He was entrusted with delivering God's inspired word. He was entrusted with the churches of Timothy and Titus. And yet it all began in Acts 20 verse 4 with Tychicus' willingness to simply walk. What a reminder. If we are faithful over what God calls us to do, though it be little, God will make you faithful over much. Be available to serve God in the humblest of ways, and there is no telling where He will sweep you off to as you just keep on focusing on serving Him wherever you are. I see this so clearly in my life, as I'm sure many of you do as well. The guiding providence of God always works as we humbly surrender and serve God right where we are. Just as my own example, I wouldn't be a pastor here at Grace Chapel in Ohio right now if I had never served as the pastor at Unity Baptist Church for over eight and a half years in Pennsylvania. And I never would have served as pastor at Unity Baptist if I had never first offered to help teach Sunday school for an elderly pastor at Boardman Baptist in Eastern Ohio. And I never would have taught Sunday school at Boardman Baptist Church if I had never gone to college and seminary in South Carolina to study for the ministry. I never would have studied for the ministry if I, as a high schooler, had never taught my very first adult Sunday school lesson as a substitute teacher in my home church in Michigan. And I never would have taught that very first Sunday school lesson as a substitute if the pastor of my home church hadn't asked me to cover for that sick teacher. And my pastor would have never asked me to cover for that sick teacher if I hadn't first been arranging the hymnals and vacuuming the church sanctuary week after week for the pastor to then sit and talk to me and get to know me over many, many months. And I never would have been vacuuming the church and arranging the hymnals if God hadn't first worked in my heart as a junior hire to tell my mom that I wanted to help out in the church any way possible. See, the providence of God always guides us as we simply choose to faithfully serve God where we are, even in the humblest of ways. It doesn't matter who you are. See, that's what's so wonderful about this. We hardly know anything about this guy named Tychicus, besides what I just gave you from the New Testament. We have no letters written by him, no degrees, no sermons, nothing, and I'm so glad we know hardly anything about him because we know the most important things about him. And those are the things that Paul mentions here in verse 7. You see it there at the end of verse 7. Tychicus was, Paul says, a beloved brother. In other words, he was saved. He was a faithful minister and a servant of Paul's. He was willing to do whatever Paul entrusted him to do. And why was Tychicus such a beloved brother and faithful servant to Paul? Answer, it was because he was a fellow servant or a slave, as it says here, in the Lord. 
Tychicus gave his all to Jesus Christ. You see, for Tychicus, he didn't study Colossians and say, boy, that's wonderful doctrine. I can sing some great songs on Sunday and then live for myself the rest of the week. He realized if this is who Jesus is, then I must be a servant of the King. And if I have to serve the King, then I am to serve the King's interests. And Christ has said, I will build my church. I must serve Christ here in this place by serving the people of Christ. Tychicus lives out Colossians for us. He gave his all to Jesus Christ, the preeminent one. And in that servant's heart, Paul found a kindred spirit and a bosom friend. A man who was to him as Jonathan Shieldbearer saying, Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Tychicus, with that one heart, encouraged Paul so greatly that he thought, How do I encourage those Colossian believers to put Christ first? I will send Tychicus. He will do the job. What a reminder that those who are simply willing to serve in any way right where they are, are an indispensable part of a ministry and a life that exalts Jesus Christ. Tychicus served Christ by serving Paul. And he served Paul by serving the church. And he's joined by someone else in verse 9. We see a man named Onesimus. It says in verse 9, And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, very similar wording, who is one of you? He will, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now we learn from the New Testament letter of Philemon that Onesimus was the former slave of a man named Philemon, a pillar, an important man in the Colossian church. In fact, we learn in verse 2 of Philemon that the Colossian church, that's the church we're studying about, met in Philemon's own house. From that letter we learn that Philemon once owned this man named Onesimus as his slave. But Onesimus didn't like being a slave in Philemon's house, and so he ran away. He ran all the way to Rome, hoping to get lost in the crowds of people. And would you know it, out of the nearly two million people that were living in Rome at that time, who should Onesimus run into but the Apostle Paul, out of all those millions? And Paul leads Onesimus to faith in Jesus Christ, just as he first led Philemon, his master, to Christ as well. And so while in Rome, Paul writes Philemon a special letter and in essence says, listen, I know Onesimus ran away as a slave, but he's returning to you now as a brother, so welcome him and love him. That's essentially the letter of Philemon in one sentence. So we've got Tychicus with this letter of Philemon in his pocket and with Onesimus walking right there beside him. And notice how Paul speaks in Colossians about Onesimus here. Does he say, Onesimus, you know, you all know him as that runaway slave? No, he says, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? What a reminder of Colossians 3, verse 11, which says, Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. 
Those words, and now these, would have been read directly to Philemon in the Colossian church, while Paul's own letter to him would have been burning in his hands. Talk about getting pressure from every side, right? He's a brother now, Philemon, not a slave. Take him in and treat him as such. We talked about it a few weeks ago, but Christianity ultimately destroys slavery because it destroys the fallen earthly social distinctions and makes us all brothers and sisters in Christ who are now exalted to this degree of being called chosen ones, holy and beloved. So Paul reiterates that here. Onesimus was a brother, faithful and beloved. You know what's interesting is that Ignatius, one of the early church fathers, wrote a letter to Ephesus a few years later in the New Testament era. And in it he wrote this, Since then, in the name of God, I received your entire congregation in the person of Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love and your pastor. I beseech you in Christ Jesus to love him and all who are like him. All who are like him? Like what? Like a slave? Yeah. A slave of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? From a runaway slave to pastor of the Ephesian church. What a change. Tychicus and Onesimus, both beloved brothers, faithful ministers, and fellow servants in the Lord. So let's drag this right out of the hypothetical and into everyday life where we all are living and sitting this morning. Because you see, this passage that we just worked through Those three verses, they are not about Tychicus or Onesimus or even the Christ-exalting ministry of the Apostle Paul. This is about you and this is about me and this is about having a Christ-exalting ministry here at Grace Chapel. Here in this place at this time for His honor and His glory. So how do we as followers of Jesus Christ right here who have gathered here this morning, how do we live in such a way that exalts Jesus Christ above all? First answer is we do it together. That is exactly what this whole passage is about. Even the Apostle Paul himself could not live a life that exalted Jesus Christ above all by himself. He needed the spiritual companionship and encouragement and correction and conviction and commitment of other believers in their lives. Only together could they live a life that exalted Jesus Christ above all. By the way, that is just the same as true for you and me as it was for him. You know, we're about to welcome five new members this week in addition to the eight that were added last week. Five new members that have come to recognize the spiritual truth that we're all in this together and that we need the presence of other believers who are devoted and committed to helping us exalt Jesus Christ above all on a daily basis. This morning, I want to ask you the question, are you at that place yet? If you are, I would encourage you to talk to me or one of the elders and learn about how you can join in the fellowship here at Grace Chapel because the Christian life was never designed to be live alone. And exalting Jesus Christ can never be fully realized while operating alone. No man is an island. Christian life that exalts Christ above all can only be discovered among and alongside the body of Christ, the church. You say, well, why? Why is that? Well, it's because, as we've seen this morning, it is within the local church that fellow believers devote themselves to each other in various ways. And one of those ways is service. 
as was said of Tychicus and Onesimus, they were beloved brothers, faithful what? Ministers and fellow servants in the Lord. If Paul was to write of our church, would he describe you and I in that way? A beloved, faithful, and fellow servant in the Lord? He should. For as Mark 10.45 teaches us, even Christ Himself came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. And the Lord that we claim to view as supreme and as King above all, the Lord of our lives from beginning to end, He said in Luke 22.27, I am among you as one who serves. That's why the first and most essential element of a ministry that exalts Jesus Christ above all is those who serve. Those who serve in any way needed for the good of the body and the glory of Christ, even if it's just walking, as it was with Tychicus. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of us have received a gift, so let us use it to serve one another. Every member a minister. Don't trip yourself up in pride, I would encourage you this morning, over what you think your spiritual gift or your level of preparedness might be. Just humbly serve Christ by serving His church and His people in whatever area of service is needed. And watch the Lord providentially set you off on a lifetime of experiences and growth that you never dreamed possible. Because the first and most essential element of a ministry that exalts Jesus Christ above all is those who serve. So how can we better grow as beloved and faithful and fellow servants of the Lord for the glory of Christ? Here is one thing practically that you can do. Here's your homework. Okay? A good first step towards taking that journey. It's something that I learned from my parents demonstrated to me as I was growing up. It's something that I had the joy of practicing in my high school and college years to the great benefit of my soul and now I get to share it with you. So if you want to do something to become a better servant of Christ and a greater blessing to His people, start by doing these two practical things, okay? First, here's the first one. You might want to write this down. First, state your desire to serve. I know that sounds ridiculously basic, but you would not believe how overlooked that single act is. Walk up to the pastor, one of the elders of the church, and tell them, listen, I love Christ. I love His people. I love His priorities, His ambitions, His dreams in this world. I want to give myself to Him. I want to help out in any way possible. Just give me a job, any job, whatever it is, I'll do it. I want to serve Jesus Christ here in this place where I am because that is what I'm called to do as a follower of Jesus. You know what? If you were to walk up to the pastor or one of the elders here in the church, you might see them break down and cry right where they're standing. You laugh because you know it's true. Just like Tychicus, you'll encourage their hearts greatly just to ask them, is there any way I can serve? Because those who are in the midst of ministry know how vital and sadly how rare people like Tychicus and Onesimus are. People who just want to serve Christ by serving the church, no matter the task and no matter the need, Just offer yourself as being willing to serve and God will take care of the rest. So first, 
If you want to take a practical step to growing as being a greater servant and blessing of God's people, then first state your desire to serve. State it. Don't sit there on your pew saying, no one's ever asked me to serve in this church, and I guess I'll just sit here. That's not your job. Your job is to serve Christ. That's your calling. That's your privilege. That's your glory. So first, state your desire to serve. Second, repeat your desire to serve. (laughs) Don't just make it one and done. Sometimes it takes leaders time, frankly, to recover from their shock. And sometimes it takes time to figure out the place of greatest need where you can, in fact, serve. And so I'd encourage you to keep on faithfully reminding your leaders of your desire to serve until you're directed towards fitting areas of service and then give yourself to that effort. That's why we do the ministry fair, by the way, uh, before the summer every year, so you can be reminded of the different ways you can plug in. Be an integral part of building a Christ-exalting ministry by serving the ministry. Don't wait for the ministry fair. Ask now, how can I greater serve the body of Christ here? State your desire to serve. Repeat your desire to serve. Be an encouragement, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the songwriter wrote, make me a servant humble and meek. Lord, help me lift up those who are weak, and may the prayer of my heart always be, make me a servant like Tychicus, like Onesimus, like Christ. Let's grow together in becoming beloved brothers and sisters, faithful ministers and fellow servants in the Lord for the glory of Christ above all. And let's, we'll look at the rest of the passage next week, but for now this is the word of God from Colossians 4, 7-9, through 9, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until he comes. And so to that end, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how it reveals the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, even through the dim mirrors of Paul and Tychicus and Onesimus. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he that was above all came among us as servant of all. Help us, Father, to follow in his footsteps. Help us, Father, to be devoted to each other as the body of Christ so that we might live lives that greater honor and exalt you. Help us to recognize that there is a place for us here in this church and in each other's lives and help us to discover where that is and begin to serve faithfully no matter what it might look like, no matter what we might be asked to do. Help us to be faithful. And Father, we just thank you so much for the great privilege it is to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you in light of the mercy that is given to us in Christ. Help us to serve. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.